Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Season Ticket Podcast here on the seasonticket.ie. We hope you're well wherever you're joining us from. I'm Gareth Reynolds and joining me on the show today from the heart of Ireland's ancient east, the silkiest tones to come out of Dundalk since Andrea Carr, it's Ronan Mullen. Good morning, Ronan. Everything is Gareth. All's well here. Can't complain. Good stuff. And joining us from the other side of the world, clan and nail record point scorer at underage level and heralded in a boy as king of the fella, it's David Smith. Good evening down under, David. Morning, lads. How are you? <laughs> all good. All good. <laughs> Loving that intro, Gary. Not, not remotely accurate, but... Uh... I don't think Andre Co would take too kindly to being compared to me, but, you know, I, I am totally happy to accept that comparison. Yeah. yeah, I was more concerned about how you'd feel about being compared to her, but... <laughs> That's all right. As long as the woman to her brother, that's the main thing. That's the main thing, indeed. Um, So last time out, in the most recent episode, it was the two of you and Davey, and I know um, for anybody who tuned in, they would have heard you weighing up the prospects of last year's top four, and um, you arrived at the conclusion that um, last year's top four would probably be the same again this season. Um, So with the benefit of hindsight, but that much, not a huge amount of evidence, but still the benefit of hindsight. Have you had any second thoughts on uh, your predictions? Or, yeah, what are you thinking after the first two weeks? I think it will be interesting to see City, just to see to what extent they are undercooked in the same way Man United were. I can't expect that they will be, given they probably have a bigger squad to draw upon. But at the same time, I don't think we've got a full picture of the, the league quite yet just because Chelsea were obviously the story this summer all the signings they brought in and yet you look at that team that they fielded against Liverpool and it was pretty it was pretty similar to the one that, that was taken the field last year barring the two strikers like the defence hasn't been improved on the pitch in the same way it had been in the market like you 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 presume Chilwell and Silva would make them a lot more robust at the back the goalkeeper remains an issue so I think it'll probably be as with most seasons a few weeks before we get a clear picture but uh, off the first couple of weeks of evidence, I think it's it's fair to say Liverpool are very much the team to beat and uh, have just picked up where they left off, really. Yeah, David. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I think it's hard to judge. Like, you look at Spurs, even um, teams like that the first week, and then the contrast, or like Newcastle and then getting smashed. So the first few weeks are going to take a while to settle down. And still, since we last spoke, there's been a couple of signings, like Liverpool have brought in Thiago and Jota. Um, it looks like it's going to be a lot more movement at those clubs we went through last week. Um, Man City look busy again as well. So, um, yeah, I think obviously Manchester United um, had a very disappointing result in performance. But um, I'm still, yeah, I think depending on a lot's dependent on transfers, whether we stick sticker to us with those predictions. Mm. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's impossible to have your. To, ha- to have like a, a prediction you're confident in, especially when the transfer window is going to keep going there for the next two weeks. And um, I think for a lot of teams as well, like you can see the business that Liverpool did very quickly there, as you say, in the last couple of days even. Um, I think for a lot of teams, given what the market is like, um, the last two weeks really is when you could see a lot of movement. Uh, people kind of biding their time to see what's going on. Maybe look at what their competitors are doing or aren't doing and and uh, going from there. But um yeah, it's it's so incredibly tough to 
to make a prediction. But I think uh, for the purpose of this podcast, uh, it might be best to just say we'll leave your predictions as they were. We won't go messing around with it um, <laughs> yet. Um, but uh, and we'll go for maybe like a, a best of the rest idea where we can look at a maybe a rundown of what say fifth to tenth might look like. Um, and yeah, I think like maybe an ideal place to start with that is Arsenal because um, I would say that they well under Arteta they've kind of been ahead of schedule and in, in winning the FA Cup I think that was um, something that nobody would have expected them to do particularly given the the run of uh, games they had in the semi-final and the final and even with Sheffield United in the quarter-final as well they would have been given a tough run but um, I think like uh, they are someone who is going to push for top four, but maybe this year under this kind of plan with Arteta might just um, might just fall short in fifth. What thoughts have you got on that? Yeah, they've so they've improved so much, and I think we were having conversations about this when Unai Emery got the job, and I believe Arteta was interviewed for the post at that stage as well, and it seemed like the most natural fit that Arteta could sort of implant the ideology of Guardiola or something like it onto Arsenal, who seemed to have a good squad that were amenable to that kind of play. And then they went in a total opposite direction, probably a little bit of panic, I presume, getting a more experienced manager in Emery in. Well, I think if you canvass most Arsenal fans, they probably would have preferred if, if Arteta got the thing back back then. But it, it, with the benefit of hindsight, maybe those extra couple of years gave him a bit more time to hone his craft. And he's really hit the ground running. like, And it's not as if there's been a huge overhaul of players. He's kind of just... Uh, moved the furniture around a little bit and got them got them playing to his style and I'm a sucker for social media video, videos lads you know you know this <laughs> and I was very taken by this Arsenal clip last week where they showed the was it the goal against Fulham and the goal against Liverpool yeah, but they yeah. also they scored a goal like that against Man City as well so like this is very very clearly drilled on the training ground and this is this is modern football where defensive structures are almost taken as a given like you can get your team set up and that's what Jose Mourinho was known for in the early noughties, where he'd have you defensively robust and then leave basically the front three to win the game. Whereas what you can see with Arteta, and it was evidenced by Liverpool yesterday, that they have these like patterns of play drilled in. And whereas Klopp has had a few seasons to do that, Arteta has done that in a matter of months, which is a remarkable achievement. So I don't know where the bar is, Gareth, for success for Arsenal this season. I presume top four would be a great achievement, but I think... Uh, the sky's the limit for Arsenal in a long-term overview if they can keep up this rate of improvement. Yeah, I think uh, I think top four is the bar. Um, I'm not sure that it that it would have been the bar for as many Arsenal fans had they not have won the cup. Uh, I do think, as I said, that they are maybe that that that, that was a little bit beyond maybe what expectations uh, were previously. But um, I think the the limitations come in midfield, like. Um, as you say, he's done a fantastic uh, job in coaching the players that, by and large, were already there when he took over. And um, I think I can't remember which of this guy pundits referred to them as the uncoachables. And to be fair, like it, it really looked like that under Emery, particularly at the back. But um, I think that that kind of pattern of play, particularly the ones that they've kind of been replicating for those Abami angles, is um, kind of highlights the problem that they have in midfield, and that's where their limitations really are. Like they were. Um, it's not by accident, I suppose, that they're bypassing the midfield and they're trying to create chances. Um, 
and they're using the width to create as much space as they can then but uh yeah it's it's i mean they were 16th in the league for chances created last year um and that just isn't going to cut it so uh i would hope now that they'll get one if not two kind of creative players or ball carriers at least i think they've they ha- they have improved their creativity with uh, someone like William, who is like oven ready, fits in there and knows what to do. But uh, yeah, I think top four would be a fantastic um, achievement for them this year. I think under Arteta, they've played 31 games and they've they've taken um, 63 points. So, you know, if you if you extrapolated that out over the course of a season, I know it's not like the it's not like the the main indicator as to how this year is going to go, but. If you if you're on sixty three points with um, seven games to go this year, I think you'd be thrilled, especially considering sixty six points was fourth last year. So, uh, still a lot of work to be done. You could see that against West Ham, but um, definitely feels more sustainable and uh, a much more concrete uh, blueprint in comparison to Emery. Yeah, I think the midfield. You're right. You're right about that. Where. You look at the Arsenal midfielders and they don't really, they're all kind of at the same level without having any top midfielders. It's such a big club or like a club who just won the FA Cup Community Shield, you would hope are challenging for the top four this year, I suppose. They, they've got a very average scent, like range of players to choose from. I like Ceballos quite a lot, but aside from him, is it going to be him and Shaka, the two main starters? Like they seem to have these weird situations with like Torreira and Guendouzi where is their attitudes being questioned and... I think they, like you look at someone like Everton, like I thought Arsenal might move for someone like Ducure in the summer, uh, just like that box box and ball carrier, like you mentioned, or even like Alan. I couldn't believe Everton signed him from Napoli. Like I really rate him. Uh, I think that would be the priority more so than anything else because the rest of the team looks pretty good. I don't know. You probably know more than us, Gareth, about the new kind of defensive acquisitions, but um, they they look pretty solid early doors. Um, I suppose they're an improvement on the uncoachables anyway, but. Like, is there any particular midfielders they've been linked with or you think they should target? Well, they, they've been linked with two mainly. It's Thomas Party from Atletico, who's very much that, fits that ball carrier mould. I think when the links first came out, people thought well, he's a de- because of his stature and everything, he's a defensive midfielder. Um, but from what I've seen of him, he, he's not. And then somebody I've seen less of, but watching the Champions League over the summer was Hussein Awa from Lyon. Yeah, and he's another guy who, he's he's definitely more creative of the two they've been linked with but he also carries the ball and he has he has like he looks like he can just slow a game down and speed up whenever he wants to and I think it's something like something that De Bruyne does not to compare the two of them but something that De Bruyne does something that David Silva did really well and really controls the game and if you're a team that want to play in the front foot you know if you're gonna if you're gonna um, dominate possession then uh, you really need a player that can do that and so I think of the two of them You'd be looking for one of those to come in. Like there's plenty of smoke there, so you think that something might be happening. But um, I think as well, just on the defensive additions, obviously Saliba was signed last year, but um, Gabriel who's come in this year. Like the two of them are really big units, six three, six four. Uh, Gabriel's left-footed. I don't think that's uh, by accident that he's been signed, and that a player of his stature has been signed. I think there's very obvious kind of what I was saying about the blueprint as well in comparison to Emery it seems that they've um, got confidence in what Arteta wants and um, it's very like kind of obvious style of recruitment which I think gives a fan a lot of confidence to know that the man in charge 
has a plan about what he's doing and knows what he's doing. But um, I don't know, just on Xhaka and Tobias too, I think they get a hard rap, particularly Xhaka, because they, Arsenal are playing with just a, a pair of uh, players in midfield and um, a lot of the top teams now have three. And so I think for a lot of times they're they're trying to cover the role of of, of uh, three players, and I think that's been overlooked a lot. I think they've done really well, particularly Sabias um, after the restart last summer was was top quality, like one of the best in that position in the league. I thought for what he was doing, but um, I think that you would see the two of them actually take another step forward um, if they were able to sign a third more, say, uh, forward playing midfield player. But we'll wait and see. It'll be a good test, I think, for them um, at Anfield next week. We'll see, especially if Thiago's kind of thrown in for his first start for Liverpool. I think if it's two against three as well, especially with someone of his calibre, I'm really excited to see how Arteta kind of sets up tactically for that one. Um, because he did a pretty good job last two meetings with Liverpool, the Community Shield. I thought Arsenal were really impressive. So, yeah, I think patience is probably like the key thing now it reminds me of like Liverpool under Klopp a couple of years ago where you've all these other teams who are so far ahead in the development with big managers big names it's just trust them as you said when the signs are good I think under Emery was a bit everything seemed like there was no clear direction it was a bit all over the place and um, whereas now it seems to be clear identity and style so it's just I think the FA Cup is like the best thing that ever could have happened last year it just buys time and just none of this like oh, it's so long without a trophy or whatever. So I think just patience is the main thing now for an Arsenal fan and try and, try and get top four without just managing expectations. Yeah, I think I think the, the FA Cup gives Arteta a bit of credibility and gives people a belief in what he's doing. But actually, just to go back with what Ronan said too, but Emery getting the job initially, in hindsight, you would say, like I would say, yeah, I'm glad that maybe Arteta's getting it now as opposed to getting it, you know, in, uh, in 2018 because... Um, I think that the issues they had under Emery gave like gave fans a kind of birth for patience. You know, you, you kind of realise this is a bigger job than than what some people might have expected, and so um, Arteta, Arteta was afforded time anyway. I think, or was going to be afforded time, but as you say, the the cup win gives that a little bit more now for um, for patience with with fans and with players too. Like you see. I haven't heard a player say a bad word about him and anybody who signed has said how important he's been in, in getting him there. You know, like money talks as well, but um, and the same with the Aubameyang contract, but they all really buy into what he's what he's uh, saying and that can only be a good thing. The Aubameyang contract's very significant in the sense that I know there wasn't a huge market for him this summer given that clubs are a bit more cash-strapped than they ordinarily be, but you would presume in the normal run of things that every top club in Europe would have been in for him. But the fact that he hung around speaks to the fact that he obviously has faith in the project and he's captain. And like I'm as guilty as anyone of pigeonholing Guardiola as a disciple or pigeonholing Arteta as a disciple of Guardiola. And I said it already in the show, but like you don't know, like he might have his own style. And you've, you mentioned the midfield bypass the midfield, Gareth. And Liverpool have had great success with that, using the wide channels as their source of creativity and that seems to be like Liverpool it's borne out the fact that Liverpool are champions I know they've probably moved a bit more I don't want to discredit the likes of Wijnaldum and Henderson and Milner but in reality the, the creativity comes from the wide areas and then that front three so maybe Arsenal are following along different lines when you've got Bellerin I don't know if he's hanging around Gareth I know there was some talk that he might move on and then 
Kieran Tierney is playing in the back three when he's fit, but like in the long term, you would presume he will take that left wing position when Saka probably will end up further forward. So they've actually got a lot of options. Midfield would be nice to address, and I'm sure they will when the when the money's right. One question, and I'm just interested. Actually, two questions. Like Lu- Lucas Torreira and Guendouzi as one sort of midfield quandary. Like as a non-Arsenal fan and just watching them every now and then, I was always impressed with both of them as uh, busy players, good on the ball, and kind of basically no games ever pass without you noticing both of them playing. So I always mm. thought they were quite impactful. And then the Emmy Martinez, Bernd Leno thing, yeah. I don't know, you, you could probably speak to this, Gareth, I've been watching them every week, but I was a lot more convinced by what Martinez was doing in terms of coverage of the box, assurance on shot stop, and even keeping that defensive line in order, as opposed to Leno, who's a good, like, He's agile and he's a decent shot stopper, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily won me over. But like Arsenal have made their decision. They've got a lot of money for Martinez and that's actually great credit to them that they've taken basically an academy player and turned it into 20 million quid. But I, I wonder what you think about the Torreira Guendouzi thing and the, the goalkeeping situation. Yeah, I think, well, I think uh, the Torreira one is. It's kind of unfortunate in a way because he had a great World Cup for Uruguay and that was the time that he was signing then. And I think he had a fantastic first six months um, to, uh, to the start of his Arsenal career and kind of that first half of it of that first season, I suppose, culminated in the 4-2 win against Spurs at the Emirates and he scored in that. And um, I think everybody was kind of blown away by how, as you say, how busy he was. He's very good at uh, turning over the ball. He's doing the same against Liverpool when they came to the Emirates. And he looked like the kind of guy that they've been missing for a long time. And he got injured then and didn't really feature much as, as much in the second half of the season. And when he came back the following year under Emery, started last season, he was playing further forward. I'm not sure what the thinking was behind that. Um, whatever decision Emery was kind of trying to make with that. But uh, he didn't. He wasn't able to impose himself and I suppose would have struggled, I think, anyway, to impose himself even, even in a good team playing that position, never mind in a team that was struggling. Um, and, uh, yeah, he got injured again. He, he broke his ankle and um, he just hasn't featured under Arteta. So I'm not, like, I, I always kind of liked him and I thought maybe he's been unfortunate with injuries when he's picked them up, particularly the first time around when he picked up an injury when he was in such good form. Um, but... Um, it just it seems like it's some someone that doesn't fit the kind of criteria of player that Arteta wants. Uh, Gendouzi, well, Gendouzi goes back to the Brighton game where he had a bit of uh, disciplinary issues, and the, you know there's reports of things that he was saying to Neil Mopé on the on the pitch and stuff. And um, I think that that's the first time we've really seen um, Arteta kind of um, stamp his authority. With a player, because uh, when he first, when Arteta first took the job, he talked about non-negotiables, and he's talked about them consistently um, since since uh, he joined in December. And um, I think one of those is the humility and respect in the way you conduct yourself as a player. And um, I think Enduzi has always had a bit of kind of um, disciplinary issues since he was a youth player. Uh, he's got a bit of a record for it, and I think it was just a step too far this time around and from anything I've read um, it's been a case of like you know not really apologising for what he's done or not recognising where he was in the wrong and um, I think for Arteta it's, it must be just be a decision of like look you either behave the way we want you to or you're out so I think that's why you see him 
been linked with uh, moves away. But I mean, they, I think the Torreira one is unfortunate because he's young. Um, and I think if he does go somewhere, he could still have a really good, he could have a really good time at a really good level. Uh, the again, the one is disappointing because he can see he's got like a really raw talent. And actually, when I thought when Arteta joined, I thought Ganduzi might be one of the ones, uh, along with Midland Niles, who uh, really benefits from this. You can see the ability there, but they just need to be coached. And I thought that he would um, take a huge step forward under Arteta. But if the if the manager thinks it's not working and it's not if it's not helpful for the for the squad overall, then um, I've got no problem with him moving somebody on if it has to be done. I think that ruthlessness is something that is missed that was missed for a long time at Arsenal. So it's almost refreshing in a way to, to see it come back. The goalkeeper situation is strange because without Leno getting injured for that same Brighton game, um, we never would have seen Martinez and he probably would have left anyway, maybe for a couple of million um, because he does want to be a number one. I mean, he's just turned 28. He was at Arsenal for 11 years and spent more time on loan than at the club itself. I think he only played 38 games for Arsenal by the time he was leaving and he made his debut in 2012. So um tells you a lot about what the majority of his career was like. Um, I think that given how good he was and how important he was, uh, especially in the cup run, people forget maybe how good Leno was for the rest of the season. I, I would have said that Leno was probably going to be player of the year until he got injured. Um, they are different kind of profiles of keepers though. And I do think that Martinez is better under under a, a high ball. I feel a lot more confident given how, how uh, badly Arsenal struggled with set pieces and conceding goals off them last year. I feel a lot more confident with Martinez between the sticks when balls come in. But um, I don't know, again, like they have... Uh, a really kind of forward-thinking team of coaches there. They must have some reason for keeping Leno. Uh, I also think that you're never going to get 20 million again for Martinez. And maybe in some cases you'd be mad not to take it. Um, and he was always going to push a lot more strongly to leave if he wasn't going to be first choice versus leaving Leno on the bench. Um, I don't think at this point they could afford to have two keepers worth the same value and one of them only playing every week. So it was a decision that had to be made. But I do wonder about the future of that position at Arsenal because um, David Rea at Brentford is someone who they've been linked with after Martinez's sale. And he's someone who worked with um, your man Pavon, who's the goalkeeping coach at Arsenal now. He'd come from Brentford and, and worked with Rea. And um, the fact they're trying to sign him, I wonder if, if they see him as like another long-term solution. Maybe then he'll play for a couple of years and they'll try and move him on. Um because that goalkeeping role for a lot of teams is something that's kind of uh, it's like an untapped resource in comparison to like bringing in your kind of modern fullbacks and and all the rest of it. So uh, I, I I think that Leno will be fine at number one for uh, the next couple of years. Like I think by and large he is he, he has been very good for Arsenal, but um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that change or if that was something that Arteta wanted to change under say, like a three-year plan. I, I take your word for it, Gareth. It's a comp- comprehensive answer on the goalkeeping because, again, I can't claim to see him uh, every week, but I just thought Martinez had probably earned the right to start the season given how fundamentally he had been to the close of last season. But that is a good point on the values. It's kind of a now and everything, and you're probably more likely to get money for Martinez than you were for Leno. So it stands mm. to reason, and... There are other areas of the pitch where they need to improve, so goalkeeping is probably not 
the number one port of call. There's not that big of a chasm between the two where you'd have to necessarily say it's detrimental to let one of them go and they can reinvest that 20 million in mm. an area of need. So it was, it was a shrewd bit of business. I was just struck by how ruthless Arteta was with dropping the foreign player of the end of last season for the return in Bernd Leno. But like two wins from two, you can't complain, Arsenal are motoring Gareth. Yeah, no, so good. So far, so good. I, I look forward to seeing him in his first year, and I hope that you know all going well. They'll actually have like a season without the stops and starts of last year. And I think, like for a guy who's in his first managerial job, he's had a, a hell of a nine months and done fantastically well. So I hope, uh, yeah, I hope he just gets to really impose himself now in the next on the next nine months and see how it goes. Where is the where are we predicting that? And we think in Arsenal. Are you thinking, Gareth? Do you think they will finish in the top four, or do you think it's? They'll I be- think they'll push it. I think they'll push for top four, but I think they might just finish fifth because I'm not sure. I'm not sure uh, in terms of depth and even quality that they do have on the bench. If uh, if they were to progress to later stages of the European Europa League, sorry, um, I don't. I, I'm not sure if they'll be able to balance that with Premier League, but we will wait and see. Um, yeah, I think they'll. I think they'll be there thereabouts, but I think they might just slip into fifth. Do we move on to what about Spurs? Spurs yeah. Oh, we have to do it, Gareth. I'm afraid. They're... What about them? <laughs> are, you, are you fearful or what? What do you reckon? If you do, you think they will? Like off the back of last week, you're looking at them and they just look so lethargic and. It was almost as if like they threw their hat at the game after they went one nil down, and but then having watched Man United and a few other teams in their first game, you're like, these lads are just not at the level fitness wise. I don't even think it was a, a tactical thing from Tottenham last week because you saw how ferocious they were on the break yesterday or on Sunday, and Southampton, albeit Southampton played into their hands, and I don't know about this high line. I don't know if. All teams seem to be persisting with high lines and playing out from the back as a means of, as if you can't play progressive football without, you know, pressing right up on the halfway line. And you think after Sun's second or third goal, so that would have been like, let's, let's back up a little bit here. He scored the same goal four times. Yeah. But uh, that all being said, I think if Spurs can manoeuvre themselves into counter-attacking positions like that, there, there's, no, there's few teams in the league that can, that can stop them because you saw Harry Kane, I think... Uh, the commentator said he was turning into Glenn Hoddle or Christian Eriksen spraying passes from midfield. So I think I think Spurs look potent on the break, but the obvious counter to that is most teams are going to go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and sit back. And then where, where do they go then? They don't seem to have much creativity. Mourinho's never been known for having tactical acumen that can, that can break a, a low block down. So that would be my main concern. Gareth Bale... Is a shrewd sign, I think, given it's only a loan deal and it's a bit of a shot to nothing. It'll boost morale. Ruggion is a very good sign, I think. But if he's anyway successful, the Real Madrid are just going to buy him back for 20 million euros. So it's basically an, another expensive loan deal. Mm. So you'd wonder about Tottenham's business long term. Would any other manager get rid of Deli Ali? I know he probably hasn't hit the heights that people expected him to, but still, he'd get in most Premier League teams, if not squads. So I think that's another, that's a classic Jose Mourinho move to like, isolate one of their the fan favourite players and get him out of the club so it'll be interesting time will tell on that but they do look potent they've recruited quite well but I think the jury's still out until we have a bigger body of work to judge on what kind of job he's actually doing there It's funny 
So it's almost an anti-Mourinho team is looking at the minute in terms of like they're much better going forward than they are defensively, which is like the antithesis to what we usually expect from Mourinho. And I think it's going to be interesting how they evolve this season because you look at like they brought in Doherty, Reguillon's very good going forward generally. Like it looks like they're almost trying to go back to those like bombarding fullbacks they had when Kyle Walker and Danny Rose were kind of in their prime there a few years ago. And I actually like Hoiberg as well. I know he's had a bit of a mixed start, but I think he'll kind of, they needed that bit of steel in midfield. I think Bale, particularly when you talk about that counter-attack and like with Kane dropping deeper, hitting teams on the break, like Bale is tailor-made for that. Um, I think in away games, especially Spurs are going to be quite dangerous, but I just think the defence is, the <coughs> centre defence is still an issue. I don't think Eric Dyer is a, I don't, he's kind of a strange one where it's like, you don't know what he is anymore. Is he a midfielder or a centre-back? I know he wants to be a centre-back, but I'm not convinced by him as a centre-back at he's all. Just, he's just Phil Jones. He's just Phil Jones 2.0. Like mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's never convinced. He's, he's always been promised, but then you look at him and he, this, these should be his prime years and he's just, he's never kicked on. There's a few Spurs players like that. I think. Yeah, I think the Ali one as well is weird when like, um, if you've watched the All or Nothing documentary, like Mourinho really seems to have quite a good relationship with him. And I know you can probably see both sides where he's constantly kind of teasing Ali about his laziness and his his poor attitude in training. But then, like he tells him that, you know, he, he was told, Alex Ferguson told him to sign up for Manchester United. And it is kind of a strange one. I think that something seems to have broken down. He was taken off at halftime in the first game. He's been left out of two subsequent squads. So, like the right, and I was I, apparently PSG are kind of interested in lining up a loan bid. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be an interesting one to watch that because can they like I don't think Spurs are in a position where they can really afford to be letting Deli Ali go out on loan for a year. It just seems just like was wouldn't it impossible to fathom that a year ago, two years ago. So, but yeah, I agree. It's like the dire thing where and I actually feel Davison Sanchez is a bit the same where I really thought he was gonna be a top centre back, but. Hasn't really kicked on and convinced in the last couple of years either. So they're kind of a mixed bag at the minute, Spurs. Gareth, I don't know what you think. Um, yeah, I think like the well, same as I suppose we were saying about these predictions in general. It is so tough, and particularly when they were uh, their two performances so far have been at, at such contrasting ends of the scale. Um, yesterday's game was strange. So uh, it was almost like when you're playing five aside and all the shite lads get tired and. <laughs> They were just like, as Ronan said, they scored four identical goals. And uh, after the second one, you want to really be questioned why you're still doing the same thing over and over again. But um, with Sampton's backline, I mean, but um, yeah, it was It's not, not, not the takeaway from, you know, four very good goals on the break. And it's rare to see a player score four and, and then for the same player to set it up each time. Like, it's very impressive. So, it's just so hard to know going forward, like how consistent they'll be in doing that. Um, I think you would be hard pressed to see another team defend as poorly as Southampton did in that second half yesterday. So they may not get it as easy. Um, but they've always been hard to beat under Mourinho. I think since he's come in, <coughs> um, up until now, they're I think form wise are maybe like fourth best in the league. Um, so I think like they've maybe because of the way they play they can be overlooked or maybe dismissed a little bit as challenging for top four because it's not, uh, it's not such a contrast with the way that the, the best teams in the league play by and large. But um, yeah, I think the big thing, if I was a Spurs fan, I suppose, would be that um, 
Levy's obviously brought him in to, to win something because I don't think he'd get Mourinho win otherwise. Um, and I think that he'd have to do it this year because, you know, well, historically the third year is, uh, might, not, might not end too well. But, um, yeah, I think they really need to... Um, they really need to get a, a trophy into the academy. Like they've had an FA Cup and two League Cups in 35 years. So um, if they want to, if it's if this is going to be like some sort of project with Mourinho, then um, I don't think you're going to see anything that's uh, that can be described as progress without without somebody holding a trophy. So um, yeah, we'll see how it goes over the course of the year. I think as well in their business, like I think Matt Doherty is a fantastic signing. And I do wonder if um, those kind of, uh, as you say, the bombarding fullbacks are something that he's gone back to because he knows it's something that that Kane operated so well with uh, under Pochettino before, um, and it might be an easy fix to their problems. Um, but uh, yeah, bringing Bale in if they're going to play counter-attacking football uh, could be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and I just think though that between that being alone. And uh, Reguillon coming in with the buyback option, it, 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 as you're saying, Ronan, I, I don't know if it's done with the long term view, if it offers a, a bit short term. Uh, it's a bit like Murata's deal at Juve. So um, if Real want them back, like they'll take them back. So I'm not sure. Maybe they'll do more business now in the next couple of weeks. But um, yeah, they're just they're just so hard to they're so hard to nail down. And with someone like Ali being left out of the squad, like he's such a popular player among. Spurs fans, it's that typical Mourinho scapegoat. Um, it'll be interesting. I suppose it it, it is uh, underpinned by Mourinho's relationship with his squad as much as anything else. So uh, we'll see how that develops over the course of the year, and that will very much influence uh, if they're going to challenge for top four. Or not, I suspect. Funny that, like, you actually look at their team, and it's they're they're very well balanced. Like, it's very good. I don't know, maybe the depth is lacking, but. Like that front three now is potentially Son, Kane, and Bale. Um, the two new fullbacks, uh, I think, as we mentioned, like they've still got Larice, who's very experienced, like a World Cup winning goalkeeper. Um, the centre defence, maybe I think, could still do some work. But they have, like, I think Lacelso is a good player in midfield. Um, they've got Winks as tidy. Um, he's brought in Hjoiberg, who seems like a really Mourinho type midfielder. Mm. And then Ndombele... As Mourinho's been talking him up, he scored the winner in the Europa League during the week. So I think they're not a million miles off. And about that long term thing, I don't know if I, I think if I was a Spurs fan, like it feels like the whole Pochettino project. It was incredible. And he took the club so forward so much, but it was a long term plan. And then at the end of the day, unfortunately for I don't think anyone really wanted to see that go badly, but he 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 left with without winning anything. So I think it's a case where like Maybe for, as an Arsenal fan, it, it's felt like that at times as well, Gareth, maybe over the past decade compared to earlier years where it's, it feels like something's been building, building, building for years without actually ever fulfilling that promise that was shown. So maybe short term, maybe you want to see a manager come in uh, and make short term signings rather than you'd rather bring in Gareth Bale or a 20 year old winger from, you know, who might who could potentially be world class in four or five years or do you want the finished product now? I think that's like the, the balance is it's tough to find for it's, a minute. It's, yeah, it's absolutely about finding the balance. I think, though, um, I don't know, like, in in the years that Pochettino was at Spurs, if you were to compare it to Arsenal, like, he's 
he was very evidently building something that was progressing. Like we saw how much they improved. Yeah. And it culminated with that Champions League final. And um, so I think it's un- it's actually unfair to con- to compare that Spurs project to what was going on at Arsenal because Arsenal were very much in decline during that period as well. And uh, I would think that um, for anybody who thinks that, you know, obviously a lot of made a lot is made of Pochettino not winning anything. And I, I think it's unfair actually because he's he's changed um, at least for the next few years anyway how Spurs are viewed. He's changed uh, the expectations of that club. He's brought them into a new stadium, and um, I think it's taken them to a whole different level that they wouldn't be on and wouldn't have been on without him. Um, so I think that he he uh, he deserves a, a huge amount of credit for that. But um, I don't know. I, yeah, I suppose like performances will convince how you feel about the Bale move in particular. But when I first saw it, I thought it smacked a bit of Alexis Sanchez going to United, and you're not really sure how it's going to pan out. You know, it's big money for um, for a short-term move, and uh, you kind of you're not sure how it's going to go. Particularly uh, a player who's so attacking to be coming under a, a Mourinho side. Yeah, it's just it's impossible to tell, but. Um, yeah, I think Hoiberg was a great signing as well, actually, in addition to Doherty, because he is that very much like Mourinho-esque player in the middle. Um, and he's only 25, but he's been around forever. Like I think he started at Bayern when he was 17, so um, he's a really good, experienced player to bring in too. But yeah, I, I I think that they'll that they'll finish sixth on the caveat that uh, all's good with Mourinho and the players throughout the year. Yeah, I think, in my mind, before the season, just given the trajectory Arson were on, I had them to finish fifth again with a like a real push for top four. And again, that mix could could really change by Christmas. We'll probably have a clear indication by by then. But I think that's probably the the money where it should be. And then Spurs again sixth. You'd have to say because Wolves are obviously only getting to their transfer business now. Uh, given they've they've offloaded a lot of players, but I think Everton are obviously the sneaky team to keep an eye on. But I think the top six is probably entrenched again in the same way that old top four was about ten years ago. But like, you can't safely say anything about Tottenham because it it does feel a lot more game to game than it did under Pochettino, where as you lads have said, it was very much a, a long term project. And you you always wonder, like I think Spurs, there have been some soundings that they're looking to sell the club. You know, there's a few little things, indicators. The Amazon documentary, obviously, uh, pitched them to a whole new audience. The new stadium, they have this link up with the NFL. It's a brilliant stadium, and it's a very attractive proposition for a would-be buyer, I would presume. And then even things like Alex Morgan signing for the women's team, like, mm-hmm. again, just bringing eyeballs to the, the Tottenham Hotspur Inc. Yeah. kind of thing. So you just wonder, like, these signings again, Bale, that's making news on the ESPN and Center in America, you know, this kind of stuff, in the same way that, as David said, like, Ferran Torres or someone isn't going to make headlines for uh, Tottenham uh, worldwide. So I do think their business is a little bit out of kilter than it would be. Like, I'd say, I'm sure Pochettino's looking at this and thinking, where was this investment after we got to the Champions League final? You sent me back into that season with basically the same squad, and Dombele came in, but Ericsson was on his way out the door. So, like, you just do wonder about Tottenham's long-term ethos. And the reason Reguillon came in on basically an expensive loan is because Mourinho doesn't care if Madrid buy him back, because by the time Madrid did that, he'll be gone. So, it yeah, is a bit yeah. grim. But 
I'd say at this point, and you touched on it there, Gareth, Spurs fans probably just want a trophy. They don't care. By hook or by crook, if Mourinho wins them a League Cup or an FA Cup this this year and gets them in the Champions League and leaves, they'll be happy enough with that. Which is kind of a little bit of a grim state of affairs, but at the same time, understandable. So the short answer after all that is, I'm not sure. But <laughs> I, I, I would say Tottenham for sixth uh, this season. I Yeah, I would... I think I'm in the same boat there. As we said, like it is quite game to game with them. So I'd be interested to see. I could see them win in the Europa League in a way, just with that setup with Bale coming in, the counter attacking, if that is what he's building towards, which signs indicate he is. I think that would be really suit him in the Europa League. And Mourinho's got good pedigree, obviously, in European tournaments like that. So yeah, I want to keep an eye on. But I think, as Ronan said, we are moving back maybe towards that traditional top six, even though. The chasing pack are improving so much, and like the caliber of signings now coming into the league is incredible. When you look at Everton and Wolves, like it's ludicrous. Um, I think Wolves are signing a right back from Barcelona, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's just the way things are going. But I do think the big six, with just with their managers, and I think I'd be surprised if any of them fell out of it without, as you said, Garrett, like things going bad for Mourinho or like a basically a manager losing his job in that top six so things will go that badly so yeah it'll be interesting to see who do we think then are the out of the chasing pack would you if you think one team's going to kind of disrupt that top six would it be Wolves or Everton or Leicester it's I, I've, well so we'll say like of the the rest I've got four teams here in Wolves Leicester Everton Sheffield United I think that just to start with Sheffield United actually um, I don't think that they'll be making the push that they did last year but I think uh, given that they ended up ninth people will forget that actually they sustained the Europe, Europa League push for a, a huge part of the, the season um, but their downfall is the the chances that they create like they're I think they're very admirable defensively um, but they um, I think they had the fewest shots recorded uh, of anybody in the league last year so I just wanted to like acknowledge that how good they were but I think we can discount them from disrupting the top six this year yeah. uh, despite how despite how good a project they have going there I, I, I actually think of um, of Wolves Leicester and Everton the team that could push them the most this year is Wolves I don't know what you think yeah the Sheffield one like it's, it's that thing of like managing expectations again where like to stay up for them is probably a good season this year. Like they overachieved hugely last year. They were like barely Liverpool winning the league. They would have been the story of the season. But um, I, yeah, I just, I don't know. Like I even look at Le- could Leeds this year maybe do what Sheffield did last year. Um, it's an, another weird one on expectations because we're so used to Leeds as such a big club and they've been so well publicised, well they've done under Bielsa and like um, their identity and things but it's two wins from two from them there's obviously like defensive issues and that but maybe they'll push for the top 10 like I'm not saying top 6 or anything, I don't think that's feasible but um, yeah I think Sheffield, like mid-table is probably another fantastic season for them again mm. I think so yeah. It's funny, a lot of people are actually you talk about uh, perspectives changing quickly but a lot of people are looking at them and thinking they could be relegation candidates uh, after the first couple of weekends so I think people need to hold their horses a little bit I think uh, they've earned enough credit but I suppose there are there is precedent for like you remember that Reading team that came up under Steve Koppel finished was it seventh 
and mm. then but the next season they were staving off relegation so it is a tough one second season syndrome is a real thing and in this season where you're playing top players are playing games twice a week every week till the Euros uh, Sheffield United squad's going to be a little bit stretched but Wolves is an interesting one Gary talk about projects like what Nuno Espirito Santo has done there granted in the championship it was a little bit skewed by the fact that they were spending Premier League money but since they've come into the Premier League, they've felt like a Premier League team from the get-go. Like they've, they just they play such great football, and he's just an amazing coach. I think he's pegged for a big job. Like he'd be tailor-made for Spurs after Mourinho, I presume. Uh, so that's what they're keeping an eye on. Mm. But I know you're picking them to break in, but they have been depleted a bit now. By Matt Doherty was a key player for them, and Jota sneaky business. Where I'm not sure if they were. <laughs> He's not one of these players where, oh, he's definitely leaving this summer. I think they had probably yeah. planned with him in their team for this season. So I know Douglas yeah. Costa from Juventus has been uh, linked as the replacement. <laughs> That'd be a pretty exceptional replacement if he can stay fit. And then Nelson Semedo, as, as David mentioned there, you know, a nice, not a bad replacement for Matt Darley if they can get him in as well. So I, I yeah. wouldn't back against Nuno uh, working miracles again and getting that team uh, up near the top of the league. Like seventh isn't beyond reach, and that's what we're talking about if we're putting Arsenal and, and Spurs fifth and sixth. So between them, Everton, who I don't know what you thought about the Hamas Rodriguez signing, but I did have a little bit of, you know, this is a bit like Deco coming to Chelsea that time where he was good for when when the sun was shining, he was decent for a few weeks and then he just threw his hat at it after um, at when it got cold. And mm. then but Alan and Decoury bring such steel to that midfield that you're gonna think, oh, perfect that's going to let Hamas Rodriguez do his thing Calvert-Lewin who I never really pegged as a prolific goal scorer has been banging them in to start the season so that bodes well Richarlison bags of talent if he mm. can find a consistency he's going to be a top player as well Seamus Coleman Garrett looks like Seamus Coleman from 10 years ago I don't know how long he can keep this going and the, the Matt Doherty versus Seamus Coleman argument will be a moot point if, if the form line <laughs> continues the way it's going but uh Jesus, the top half of this Premier League season, it's about as stacked as, as I can remember. And even the bottom teams, like the so-called bottom teams, have some quality as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of... Um, I know people make light of this best league in the world tag and Sky and BT are, are quick to pedal that. But it's hard to argue with it when you look at look at the, the players on show. And Lionel Messi was on the brink of joining Man City. So that would have been case closed if, if that deal had gone through. But yeah, I think we're in for... a a phenomenal season and that top half in particular is going to be mouth-watering, I'd say. Yeah. Well, so, well, sorry, just, just to ask, and of the of that kind of remaining bunch, say of like uh, Wolves, Leicester, Everton, who who would both of you choose as maybe that kind of team that will rattle the top six? I'm like, I don't know. You look at any of them. Leicester is another one where I think they probably overachieved last year or Almost like you said with the Arteta, the cup coming coming so soon. I think people expected Rogers to do quite a good job at Leicester or excited about him, but maybe they progressed faster than anyone kind of expected last year. I think like it's easy to forget, but like things were so skewed and strange after the restart. But like Wolves and Leicester were both and Sheffield were hell for letter for even for the Champions League places for a little while. It was looking um Wolves in particular and Leicester. So I'm not sure. I think Leicester have looked pretty good. I think they've Man City next up, so that'll be probably a good test for them. 
Um, Wolves again, like I thought, as Ronan said, like they had a couple looked they looked a bit depleted after those departures, but they brought in Fabio Silva, who's very highly rated as well. Um, he like they have Jimenez as a superstar. I think he's one of the best. He's uh, like he's in that weird thing where he's probably not going to get a move to be a leading man at one of the top six, but he's too good to be a backup striker as well. So, uh, and then you look at Neves, like Wolves are littered with that talent. And if you mentioned Nuno is probably, he's, he's destined for a top six job as well. So I, I can't really separate those three or four teams. I think Everton's business has been fantastic as well. That midfield three is as good as you'd find in a lot of top te- European teams and other leagues probably now on paper. Um, I think he had a Hamas thing, like it's in danger of becoming like Harry Redknapp and Cranshaw, like him and Ancelotti. But, uh, it looks like a great move, especially those two guys behind him. I think Alan is really, I think he's going to be one of the standout midfielders this season in the league from what I've seen of him playing for Napoli and uh, just the instant impact kind of he's made. I think probably, I think, um, I think it's, sorry, it's, sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's hard to look past Everton just on the form, but you know, in podcasts to come, we'll probably have a clear indication of, of where that, where they're actually at, but like you'd have to think they're nailed on for, for that next position but I just think the consistency of Leicester and you talk about post-lockdown and they, they bottled the Champions League narrative which I thought was a bit unfair because mm-hmm. like they they were going into that closing run of 10 games without their first choice, choice right back first choice left back first choice centre back James Madison is probably their best player short of Jamie Vardy maybe so like I think most teams would struggle if you took those uh, components out of their team so if Leicester can get a fit squad together for the bulk of this season I think they would probably be my pick for, for seventh place at the moment. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think it's a bit of a sliding doors moment for Leicester in a way because the, to finish fifth, actually, to finish fifth last year, I think they'd actually do quite well because they only won four of 17 in the second half of last season. Like, as you say, Ronan, they were absolutely depleted. But when they're at full strength, um, I mean, like, they have, you know, Madison, Tillmans, Barnes... Indeedy, like when they're on form, they're, I think they're one of the most dangerous. I would actually have that midfield over over Everton's, and um, yeah, I just think they're. I suppose they didn't have Europe last year. They they're going to have mm. Europa League this year, and um, a big concern would be that if there were injuries, um, especially going forward, like uh, Jose Perez and Demari Gray maybe aren't at the level that they need to be if they're going to be taking pressure off. Um, Vardy uh, chipping him a few goals, or um, you know filling in the gaps if somebody if somebody is injured. Um, but I, as you say, like I think that <clears throat> if they if they can hold together a fit squad, they'll be there thereabouts. I just wonder if Europe um, might be kind of taxing on a squad that has struggled with injuries anyway. Um, and that's kind of why I looked at Wolves as maybe the team who could rattle the top six because um, they don't have. European football and while they have obviously sold a few key players like as you said like Silva they brought in exciting prospect and um, Marcel from Lyon who uh, is going to fit right into the to the back line and um, they've got your man Hoover as well from Liverpool yeah. so they're kind of they've got they've got good numbers there across the back they've got Johnny coming back in January then uh, who obviously has been a big miss for them, but um, yeah, I think like they've kind of just they they came up, finished seventh, finished seventh again, and quietly have been like asserting themselves as one of the top sides. 
Um, but so I, I would have them to finish maybe like they'll push the top six and it's, um, it's I think Everton are a strange one because that midfield does look totally regenerated like it was a very discouraging end of the season for them last year um, but I don't think they were they were great to watch in, in restart but they took 17 points from their first 24 uh, when Ancelotti took over and then got thumped at the bridge over the lockdown and that kind of like set the tone for the rest of their season but um, I think it's a big year for Calvert-Lewin because he's only 23. He scored 13 goals last year and got the England call-up. And so confidence will obviously be high after the start of the season too. But it's a test for him now to sustain that. And like you said, there's a huge reliance then on guys like Richardson to um, to contribute as well throughout the year. And I think like he's he's probably their best, their best player now, I think. And, and you're just looking for a consistent season out of him. But... Um, yeah, I, I just think it's the it's the um, lack of European football, I say, that puts Wolves just a small bit ahead for me. And is there any any wild cards from the bottom half? Like, I think Leeds are probably the, the pick of... I think they're everyone's second team, which seems ridiculous to say, given Leeds are one of the most hated clubs in England. But, you know, I think in terms of watching them, uh, like, as a neutral, I think, you just saw against Fulham at the weekend. It's going to be electric every week, win or lose. So I think yeah, we're keeping an eye on. Just a wild card, lads, for you. Miguel Antonio is a serious player. Like I don't, I don't know what the crack is with this guy. He's not even a striker. But again, I was making the point about uh, Torreira and Guendouzi just as an aside. That have you ever watched a game that Miguel Antonio was playing and thought, oh, that passed me by. I didn't notice him. It's like he gets involved in absolutely everything. Yeah, and I don't know. I think he merits a move. Like he might be West Ham's main man, and he might be happy enough with that. But I think, in terms of available players within the Premier League, I think he's a, he's an excellent player, and probably he doesn't issue his own "come and get me, please." But I think if I was him or if I was his management, I'd be like, you know, leaking these stories out. Remember Kevin mm-hmm. Doyle used to be linked with Arsenal the whole time, <laughs> even though there was never a word about it. Yeah, I think uh, I'd be doing that if I was Michael Antonio's agent. So that's just my main takeaway from the the weekend of Premier League. I'm like that's this bold. guy. That's a bold claim. He deserves some credit. What I think about? He does. I think he... Sorry, go ahead, David. I was just going to say, um, what about relegation? I would I would say that Fulham and West Brom would look. I expect them both to be in trouble. I think Fulham. Fulham. I think Fulham are going to be propping up the rest of the table. I think they look exactly like they look every other year. They struggled in the Premier League, and then. I think one of maybe, I think West Ham, Antonio might be getting his move wrong because I reckon West Ham hmm. could be in trouble. Or I think them or Burnley could be an interesting one. Brighton look pretty good. They beat Newcastle 3 0. Um, I don't think it would be like seven or eight teams sucked in at the bottom again this year. I think it will hmm. be probably Fulham, West Brom, and one other. I think Aston Villa have, have strengthened and keeping Jack Grealish is probably. I don't want to use the cliche that it's as good as a new signing, but it basically is because he was as convinced as anybody that he was out the door. Remember after that Arsenal game, Gareth, he was interviewed on the touchline and they asked mm. him, is this going to be your last game? And he, he basically said, yeah, and now he's still there. So it's um, it's another year with him and you'd like to think that's enough quality to, to keep them afloat. Sheffield United worth keeping an eye on if they don't invest. You know, it's hard to see them running with that squad again. And same for Burnley, who I was glad to see Jimmy Dunn, who went to the same school as me, getting his, uh, his Premier League debut for Burnley. But the reality is they were totally outclassed by by Leicester. And I'd say there'd be a few results like that coming their way if they, if they don't invest a bit more. 
Mm. But having said that, like Burnley started last season really badly and, and finished strong. That's kind of Sean Dyche's MO. But you wonder how long he's going to hang around if the, if the checkbook's not brought out there because he's done wonders with that club for not much reward. So, yeah, I think, I think Fulham and West Brom sadly are nailed on given the virus contingent, but I think they're probably going to go back down. And uh, I think Burnley might be, unless something changes before the transfer deadline, I think Burnley might be joining them. Burnley feels like a project maybe it's gone stale a little bit because you haven't seen a huge amount of change or progression in that team. And actually, in terms of league finishes, I think they've slowly uh, declined. Um, and not to say that it's been overachieved to begin with under Dice, but um, yeah, I think Fulham, Fulham look absolutely scrap like a brutal. But they shouldn't have been promoted in the first place. Yeah. You know, they were very lucky to get up in the first place. Um, the end of the championship last year was... No, uh, was you know Brentford like to shoot themselves in the foot, but um, of all the teams that could have gone up from the championship last year, I don't think Fulham could believe that it was them. They must be like pinching themselves that they're actually there. But uh, David, you're absolutely right. Like I think they look, they're a copy of the team they came up two years ago, and they're equally as bad as them. Like it's they're they're yeah they're impressively bad. Couldn't believe how bad they were <laughs> against Arsenal. And actually, I think the result against uh, Leeds flatters them because they've got battered. Um, so I wouldn't expect them to, uh, even if they did improve a bit, not going to be enough. And yeah. I think it's hard to say about, about West Brom because, uh, I don't know, I think like Village has got a bit about him or can have a bit about him and I'd be interested to see how they kind of settle into it. Um, you know, over the first kind of ten games or so, but uh, yeah, if I was if I was Burnley and if I was Villa, I'd be looking over my shoulder. I think that Sheffield United will be fine, um, but I do think that they'll need to sign a striker uh, because you know they they rely on. I think like in terms of strike rate, as I was saying earlier about the chances they create in terms of strike rate, like um, Billy Sharp is there is their main man and he doesn't even start but McGoldrick is better at linking up the play so they're going to need someone who can who can put the ball in the back of the net and um, but I think I think they'll be okay because they've been so good at the back but uh, yeah Burnley and Villa will be a bit under threat even with Grealish signing on and I'm not sure even though he signed the contract how long I actually stay for like mm-hmm. that's just putting it, that's just securing his value more than anything else so almost as if he's not that loyal guy sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's, nothing, it's almost as if he's done this before, yeah. yeah. There's nothing in his history to suggest that he's capable of such uh, yeah. treachery, but you know. Yeah. We'll see, yeah. So, so if you're going top four, you have your top four picked of Liverpool City, Chelsea, and United. Was that it? That was it, yeah. yeah. And then we have Arsenal, Spurs, and then seven, eight. Nine, you're looking at a mix of Everton, Leicester, and Wolves. Yeah, it's hard to predict what order, I suppose, but I think they'll probably be the three. Yeah, mm. it's it's hard to even think who the next best would be. You know, it's. Uh... Yeah, I thought Newcastle were looking pretty good with their signings and stuff, and they started well, but then that result against Brighton was a shot in the foot. So um, I think, yeah, it might be a mix. It might be a drop off, might be a top nine rather than a top 10 this year. And then. Um, I don't know, it could be Leeds. I might go for Leeds for pure entertainment factor. They might finish 10th, but they could just easily finish 15th. It's 
<laughs> and hard to know. <laughs> it's just a bit manic there, but uh, it's going to be an enjoyable ride, I think, regardless for them. Okay, it's going to be interesting to see what happens, like, because Bright- I think Brighton could be really good. I think Graham Potter is actually a really interesting guy, but then I also think a huge amount is going to come down to like squad depth this year more than any other year because the season went on for so long. Like Players now are more fit than they would be generally after a pre-season. Yeah. You know, because it's not the back of that lockdown. I think like they um it'll it'll be like whoever gets that kind of second wind come February or March time could really make a later on if it was for like say the top six or for a top four or whatever. It's a whole it's a whole different season. What do you think of what do you think of, as well about um teams that have maybe performed better because there's no fans in the ground? Have you talked about it at all or? Yeah, I don't know. It probably suits certain teams playing like away from home, playing like more negative football or parking the bus. I think like people like Mourinho will probably get away with it more. Or like Ch- Chelsea set up pretty pretty negatively, I thought against Liverpool. Um, I don't know. I think it'll suit managers like that who want to sit in or play play a low block or whatever because they don't have their own fans. It kind of somewhat neutralizes the home advantage in that sense, even tactically as well as everything else that goes with it. I don't know what you think, Rona. Most pitches in the Premier League are of the same standard. So once you get out of the dressing room, it's the same thing. And you presume the equaliser of an away ground is gone and the best team is going to win more often than not. Like the, the whole idea of being spooked by away support or a, a raucous crowd away game at night is just it's not going to be a factor this season. So that's actually a bit of a shame. I do notice that like where um, crowd noise notwithstanding that's being piped in, it's kind of, it does dilute a little bit where like that Fulham Arsenal game, for example, Garrett, that should have been like, like Craven College should have been hopping for that game and Arsenal would have had to like settle down for the first 15 minutes and, you know, get the grips with the game. Whereas they just went in and played their game from, minute yeah. one and same leads Liverpool last week can you imagine what the atmosphere would have yeah. been like for that game so exactly. it is, it's, a, it's a pity but like it's I'm just glad there is football to be fair like it's kind of a, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a bonus that six months ago I didn't think there'd be any football this year whatsoever so I think uh, we should be I think I'm happy enough to be getting what we're getting yeah I think though as well it's interesting from like a, a coaching point of view like have some teams been performing better because their coaches are more audible to the players, like our players being coached better, I, I definitely think Arsenal could be um, ben- uh, benefiting from that. But uh, I was listening to, um, I was watching highlights of, of Sheffield United uh, from last weekend, and it was like you could hear Wilder shouting, "Like that's four tackles we've missed now, four tackles!" Like it's very audible. Um, for I suppose for for managers that that do like coach throughout the game, just seems like, you know, maybe there there is a marginal gain to be got from that. Um, mm. But I know it'd be interesting to maybe see. This a very we've got a very small kind of. Um, uh, I guess we've got like a very small sample to to analyze on that. So it'd be interesting maybe over the course of a season if we were to stay without fans or without a lot of fans, how that would change. Well, maybe that's a, a, a talk for another day. Yeah, well, like I think it's going to be the most remarkable season because the post-lockdown, it was just one of those things where it wasn't an asterisk because I think most teams sort of settled into the run of things and there was going to be a, 
a surreal sort of season. But the fact that we're going to basically have a full season of this now and everyone's on an even playing field, I think it will be one of the more memorable uh, mm. seasons of recent years, not just for the reasons like we've been talking 99% about on the pitch matters and the personnel and tactics and all that kind of stuff. But I think in 20, 30, 40 years' time, people will remember this as the season with no fans. And it will be interesting to see how much of a break from the norm results are and away form and all this kind of stuff is so I think uh, as a as a project it's going to be it's going to be something to keep an eye on definitely um I think we better leave it there then um must be approaching your bedtime but now David I'd say <laughs> but uh yeah well look uh if you're listening thanks for listening uh, if you're watching thanks for watching even though I apologize for how we all look and uh <laughs> We look forward to chatting the next time. We'll probably be changing all our uh, predictions, but sure, look, that's what they're for.